Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Jumping with Jumi here on the blackdoctor.org platform. Today we are talking about mental health, minorities, and mainstream media. I am your host, Jumi Aluko, and I'm so excited that you're here because we're about to have a fabulous conversation. We all know that mental health is one of those topics that is uncomfortable to talk about, but it's so, so necessary to have these conversations. According to the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities, African-Americans are 20% more likely to suffer from severe psychological distress than white people. There's so many facts out there about how much we are struggling as a community when it comes to mental health conditions. So it's like, why aren't we having more conversations about it? Not just about the facts that are it's happening and that there's issues, but also about solutions for dealing with it. And so that's why I really wanted to have that kind of this conversation today to say, you know, is it our culture? Is it the media? Like, what is really going on? Is it a lack of awareness? Is it a lack of education? Or is it just discomfort in having the conversation? And so I want to talk about what's going on. We're going to unpack a lot of that today on today's show. And I've got a special guest that is going to help us do just that. He is a psychopharmacologist. He is a philanthropist. He is a professor. And he is somebody that is all about heal, helping to heal individuals and really help them improving their mental health conditions. Um, he is somebody that helps individuals with medical management, but he also does holistic behavioral therapy. He is leading the charge in cultivating the next generation of pharmacists, African-American pharmacists by providing resources for them. And he's also fully committed to improving the health of improving the mental health of individuals, young people ages 17 through 31, which is demonstrated by his new project, Your Mind is Our Business. So let's welcome Dr. Brian Sackey to the show. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. Perfect, perfect. I feel like the last time I saw you live and in person was like college. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the CRC that's, that's my uh, University of Maryland um, uh, degree right there, certificate. Go Terps, shout out to all the UMD folks watching today. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> how is everything going for you right now? How, how You're in Texas, right? Yes, I'm in how Texas. So it's uh, it's been interesting. I would say I am fortunate and blessed to, to still have my power and the water is still going okay. No pipes bursting, but I do send a lot of... Uh, prayers and well wishes to many of individuals around me who don't have power or electricity or any kind of um, resources. And the crazy thing is the food, the restaurants, a lot of the grocery stores are closed. So oh, wow. not only can you not get food um, because, you know, electricity, you know, certain things kind of go bad, but um, you can't go anywhere else, only select places. So it's a little bit chaotic, but oh my gosh. hopefully there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel here. You're good. Well, thank you for joining us in the midst of all of that. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to do just that. Um, so give the viewers, I know I've been following you and your work and mm -hmm. I know what you do. And I would love for you to take some time right now to give us a little bit of information about who you are and what you do um, in your day to day. Yeah. So as uh, Julie mentioned, um, my name is Brian, Brian Sackey or Dr. Sackey, whichever. Um, I am a psychopharmacologist. Now, that's just a fancy way of describing a clinical pharmacy specialist who uh, focuses on mental health management, psychiatry, that whole realm. It's something that I know when I came into the field, I had no idea was even present. 
I had to sort of dig and um, talk to different mentors and really explore the field in, in the area that uh, my pharmacist uh, and, and hopefully grow from there from our perspective, which is medication management. So my day to day consists of uh, managing. I work at the VA Veterans Affairs over in San Antonio. So my day to day consists of uh, seeing veterans. Now it's all virtual, but seeing veterans uh, <laughs> at clinic, um, and usually they're referral based from their primary care providers, or if another therapist has seen them, they come in my clinic. And my whole goal, honestly, is just to get them better mentally. It's not even to just pump meds on them or, you know, like here, take these meds and go. It's really determining what can I do from my perspective to get you get you to a better place. And I'll find that there are some patients who come who are on a whole bunch of uh, antidepressants, a whole bunch of different meds, and I end up taking them away and more so doing uh, other, other holistic uh, of getting into a better place without medication. So, but that's my day to day in a nutshell. Okay, and I know you've got a bunch of other projects that you're working on, a couple other projects that you're working on. We'll, we'll get into that, but I wanted to kind of jump off with, you know, what has really inspired you to become such an advocate for my, the minority community specifically when it comes to mental health? Like, what have you seen in your day to day that has been like, you know what, I need to focus a little bit, like I want to focus a lot more on that? Yeah. It's an interesting question for me because I I never got into school wanting to be a psychiatrist or mental health provider at all. It's something that was way out of my radar. What I think mental health did for me or how it sort of took over my life was based off of uh, personal experiences. So not me directly, um, mainly people around me and some of the things that I've observed in my community. So I'm African from Ghana. And yeah, we have we have Nigeria here as well. So, and Jumi, um, let me know if you experienced this as well. But you know what happens whenever you you bring up anything about depression or mental health to your family members? Just go pray about it. Go pray about it. Go Just pray. <laughs> exactly. Or oh, like that, that's the demon. Like, come on, like exactly. go pray about it. And so it was often neglected. But you know, we're seeing a lot of people. Africans, African-Americans, minorities, uh, who are taught to carry the burdens of, you know, what, of, of society, of life. And that meant holding a mental stability or having a strength uh, of holding everything in. Um, so this ends up, it's like pressure, right? We, it's like pipes, you have a whole bunch of pressure, it's going to burst. And this ends up uh, uh, causing a lot of unfortunate events that I uh, I witnessed as I was going through my own matriculation into uh, pharmacy, not to make it sad, but one of the, the hallmark or major marquee moment was actually an undergrad right after I graduated. Um, we we were still working with the, this, not when I say we, I always be in a band. Jimmy, I know you remember that. Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. So we, uh, we were working with a videographer at University of Maryland and she, uh, great young lady, um, she had bipolar. Hmm. And so she used to kind of describe that to me, like, you know, this is what it is and this is what I'm experiencing. For me, I'm like, I don't know much about it. I'm possibly gonna, possibly gonna learn more about it in school, but I just don't know too much. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately she committed suicide or passed away from suicide is a more appropriate way to say it. Um, and that honestly spoke a lot to me because it was the first time I had a, a true one-on-one um, 
discussion or just a conversation about mental health in a black community mm. and seeing the outcome of it when it wasn't treated because she will often just sort of uh, neglect taking the medications and so forth. So um, that always stuck with me. And it wasn't until I got through sort of the tail end of my career where anytime I encountered mental health uh, environments or any patient with mental health related concerns, it felt like I was at home, like I was doing something that was impactful. It wasn't like I woke up. It didn't feel like I woke up and went to work. It felt like I'm, I'm waking up and, you know, fulfilling my purpose, my passion, mm. especially whenever I spoke to my minority patients. It always felt like I was connected to them, um, with them at a degree that they, it felt like they probably haven't received, you know, mm. with the that they had. So that, I think all those experiences is what pushed me to ultimately say, oh, you know what, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, and I've enjoyed it since. So you mentioned something with, you know, with the young lady and, like the lack not being treated for it. And so I know part of it is, you know, there's the non-medical side where you're just talk therapy, where you're going to see a psychologist and they're not treating you. But then there's also the part where you, you've done that and then you want to, or you feel like you probably need something more. So it's a medical side, which is what you are really um, involved in. How can you have those conversations with people who are hesitant to get treatment that involves the medicine because nobody wants to get dependent on it no one wants to feel a certain way like how do you create those conversations and what safe spaces are there for people to have those conversations about it for sure you know this is a uh, a difficult component of mental health treatment that i truly believe is starting to shift um yeah, it's going to make a community effort right because mm -hmm. A lot of times in the black community, we tend to, we heal as a community, right? Mm -hmm. We rely on each other to heal versus an outside source. And when I say that, I mean, anyone that doesn't feel like a family member or anyone that doesn't feel like part of your community is hard to trust. And we, we've we had numerous um, historical events like Tuskegee experiments that would support this, this notion or this approach in fact, I actually had a, uh, my last patient today was an African-American individual. And the first question she asked me when I mentioned like, hey, you may benefit from some kind of medication therapy. She was like, well, am I, am I gonna get hooked on it? You know, am I gonna mm -hmm. be dependent on it? Um, it's a very common question. I would say anecdotally, a lot of my black patients, they tend to uh, at least express that fear at a higher rate than some of my other uh, counter, uh, white races or other counterparts. What I would say is, you know, first, we as a community, uh, we have to get comfortable with talking about our mental health. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to understand that mental health is just like another uh, condition similar to other medical conditions, right? This is just involving your brain um, and the chemicals involving your brain. And granted, if you go deeper, there's a lot of, you know, just the, the, the ways that our minds are operating has shifted. And so I always give the example, you know, if you break your leg, you're, you're not gonna try to walk at all, right? You're gonna go and try to seek help because at that point you can't function to the same level that you normally function. You know, when you break your leg, you know, your family members and your friends, they can see that your leg is broken. So they're not gonna ask you to go and go get something from the grocery store or let's go for a run. They can understand why you wouldn't wanna go. With mm -hmm. mental health, you can't see it. Right. So it's, it's hard for anyone to to recognize and accept that something's wrong because 
there's no one else to justify it or validate you because they can't see it. It's not something that somebody can see, right? Right. And so normalizing it and understanding that just like when you have a broken leg, you have to go get it fixed. Same thing. If your mind is not operating at the best at the highest level or to some with some level of impairment, you have to get treated. The mm-hmm. first thing I'll always say is you do want to talk to someone. You do want to talk to a health professional. Right. Uh, I don't really believe in straight strictly just jumping into medications unless it's a you know emergency situation. Um, but I always recommend just to start that conversation and then work your way to that point where if medications is necessary, then go ahead and have that discussion. But start by talking and let's as a community normalize what mental health is. So there's a couple of things I want to jump off from that. So, okay, I'll start with this. With normalizing it with the conversation, getting the community comfortable with it. We're seeing in the media now that there's some celebrities that are becoming very open about it. Taraji P. Henson has, you know, over the past couple of years been very vocal about her struggles with mental health, her family history with mental health. I mean, there was a recent article that said that she contemplated suicide over the over the past year during the pandemic. We've seen Charlamagne the God come out and talk about um, his mental health struggles with anxiety. Um, Summer Walker, a couple years ago now, had you know talked about social anxiety, and people were just like, "How are you going to be a celebrity if you have social anxiety? Like that that doesn't that doesn't make any sense." So. How do you feel that these people that are coming out and being very vocal, especially black, you know, people in the media in the spotlight, how do you feel like that's helping in the shift to people becoming more comfortable and having just regular people having those conversations about what they're dealing with on a daily basis? It's an interesting dynamic. And to your point, normalizing a conversation is starting to shift. And it is it is the first step for us to heal. I love the fact that we're being, as a community, we're being more expressive about how we feel. Because like I mentioned earlier, for a long time, this is, it's regarded to be a sign of weakness when you talk about your emotions, mm-hmm. you know, especially for men. And I tell you right now, majority of my male patients, they come to me when they're in their late 60s because they've tried to deal with it all their lives and then finally they're like, okay. Um, so question so, about that though, you got a very tight network of guy friends. How do you yeah. have that conversation? Do you have that conversation with them now about like, yo, y'all need to be a little more open about your emotional state? Like, yeah, are you having that now? It, it's man, I do it in the most uh, casual, um, <laughs> cool way. <laughs> but 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 I, I like to have it in a very personable, conversational manner. Like it's just like it's nothing. Man, I, I was feeling depressed the other day. Like I was really down. I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. And by talking like that, right? Like I didn't pull him to the side and say, "Hey, let me um, let me tell you about something secret." Like I was, yeah. Remember that party I couldn't go to? Like I, I don't do that. It's like we just got done pooping and like, bro, I was depressed yesterday, and Mm. that was that. You know what I mean? Um, And by normalizing it, I have noticed my uh, my group of guy friends they feel comfortable talking about it. It's not like it's just like I had a headache yesterday. It, it, It becomes that. You know that normal so express yourself in that manner and it doesn't when you when you're able to talk about it in that way it's the same way as if, if you tell your your homeboy i got a headache you know i can't function they're not gonna be like you're weak well it depends on who you're talking so, <laughs> like, no. but they were like oh, okay that's cool you know take it easy so right. when you have when you talk about it like that they're able to really 
process it more so as, oh, okay, it happens. And hopefully you get the help you need. Let me know if you need anything. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that, do you think that more and more people, like, how do we get people to understand that? Like, where do they need to hear that piece? Because I think what you said is very important where it's like, don't pull them to the side. It's kind of like in a relationship with somebody, we're like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation of what yeah. are, you know, it's more of just like, let's make it a, just a regular kind of conversation. How do you get people to understand that and to work that as part of their daily narrative conversations with friends and family? It is an interesting question because I would say in my circle of friends, it's easy to break that barrier because they trust me. A lot of this comes down to trust, honestly. And um, in some ways, people that you respect, and, I, and I, this is what I mean by that. So your earlier point or your last question about Taraji P. Henderson and mm -hmm. Charlamagne talking about it, you know, these may be people that in the black community, a good amount of people may look up to and say, hey, I respect their opinions, I respect their work. And so the things that they're expressing, you know, I'm more likely to pay attention to it. For example, I had a patient just the other day I was recommending for them to try melatonin for sleep, you know, and uh, I told them it's naturally occurring in your, in your body. And, you know, it's if you want to go the more natural route to give you something to help you sleep, I recommend melatonin. This guy for like three or four visits had completely lied to me that he that he was taking. It. He was like, yeah, no, I'm taking it. Sure, sure, sure. I'm like, is it helping? I'm like, ah, no, no. Um, but then. Finally, on this last visit, he tells me, he's like, yo, so I heard Charlotte talking about melatonin. Mm. I went ahead and it. I'm like, come on, come on, man. Bro, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, Dr. Saki was right. Like, uh, melatonin, you know, it does work, and I tried, and it worked. It's like, it's all natural. I'm like, so, first what of all, <laughs> why, like, you're paying for these visits. Like, why are you coming and not listening to anything I'm saying? And, and, and secondly, um, why did you lie and say you are taking it? And, and that, that's a whole nother dynamic as well. Yeah. It's like, you want to maintain strength and like, yeah, I ain't doing what you're saying. Or I, you know what I mean? I did that, but still, I'm still, you know, um, it, it's, it's interesting. So I would say, yes, it's, it's important for some of our, uh, prominent figures to have those conversations, to feel comfortable having those conversations because it has a lot more impact than we think. And conversely, the other side of it, you know, a lot of uh, big figures, who don't have those conversations or push away mental health, it, it has lasting impact. It really mm -hmm. does. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's where I would say if we can encourage that for sure. But within your community, just your circle of friends, just normalize that conversation. So we do have a question from um, somebody who they're saying, you know, it's hard to get loved ones to get help. You know, they refuse to keep appointments and it's kind of in line with what you're saying. It's like people will come, but they won't do what they need to do. So it's like not, it's not, they're not adherent. So she's wondering how can that you get them to accept the help that's being offered? You know, like yeah. she's trying to get them there, but they're just declining it. Yeah, it's a tough one. I always say that the toughest part is getting started. That's mm -hmm. the toughest part, you know. Acknowledging that something is wrong and then getting started is probably one of the hardest parts. Once you're in there and if you have good providers, you can maintain. What I there's a tactic that we use in our our training and to kind of give a better clarity of like holistic counseling, it's more so saying your whole body holistic and what can how can I counsel provide counsel on various ways 
that you can heal, right, from various angles. And we do this whole thing called behavioral activation and given small steps that you can do to hopefully get to the goal that you want to get to. So what another tactic we use is motivational interview. A uh, motivational interview is essentially a process whereby we're trying to help you internally want to do something for yourself, right? Rather than me telling you what to do, I want to help on, in a way convince you to understand why you need to do it so that you can do it for your own benefit. And you don't have to know the full details of that, that concept to be able to practice that at home or with your friends. The whole idea is to point out different things that they may be suffering or dealing with and identifying how much it's impacting their life and you know, question like, do you want that to be better? Mm. By in, like internally uh, resolving to that point, it feels like they're going because they want to heal or they're going to the doctor or seeking help because they want to ultimately get better versus I'm doing it because this person told me to do it, right? Because mm -hmm. even with that approach, they're going to be reluctant and uh, they may, you know, lightly engage in care and then walk out. But when you convince the person to understand why they need to do it, it, it goes a long way. And, I, and a quick example can be just, you know, um, hey, you know, drinking, like, I noticed, you know, with drinking, you've been drinking a lot more than uh, usual. Um, how do you feel afterwards? Like, I feel really bad. Like, man, like, it sucks, right? Because you barely get any work done the next day. Same way whenever, you know, if I get a hangover, I can't get my work done. It's wow. Like, yeah, like, like you know, and you start talking, like, what are some things that you've probably been holding off for a while? It's like, I've been wanting to open a business. So it's like, yeah, man, I, like, I think that's great. Like, you, you definitely have the opportunity to do so, especially with pandemic uh, going on. Like, this is opportunity to kind of get going. It's like, you know, um, perhaps maybe we should start paying attention to it a little bit more. And when they kind of open up about that conversation, they may realize it's harder for them to control than um, they, they thought it is, they thought it was. And then you can start that conversation and they're probably more willing to go seek help because they know the end result of it. They know what they want to ultimately improve in their lives. But you put that seed in their head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is there training for that or how? This is the first time I've heard that when it comes to this um, kind of conversation. But how is somebody going to know that if they're not on this conversation that we're having right now? How are they going to know that's how to approach somebody? Well, that's how we stay in business. Right now. And so no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, uh, I, to my knowledge, there isn't any formal training out there, at least to my knowledge. I haven't looked. Uh, for tactics like that, but I'm sure, I mean, this is 2021, you can Google or even YouTube motivational interviewing. Right. Um, what, what I would say though is this is intended for health professionals. Okay. So I'm not asking anyone to go and do a motivational interview. You may look at the concepts of it and understand and probably more broadly, like what are some ways I can do or some, what are some ways I can help my family or friends to get involved in care? Um, and you might find some, you know, some some steps out there. But the science behind it, the the whole approach, is a little bit complex. Okay. Um, but what I will also say is this: this is something that I think everyone should do. Um, get a therapist, right? Regardless of how you feel, get a therapist. Uh, I always call it like a maintenance check, right? You have your primary care provider, your doctor, who you go see what every six months or so forth. Like everything good, checks out. All right. Five. Now, why don't we get someone to check out our minds every so often, right? Like, is everything checking out? 
I guess the question is though, is it easier to say like, yes, I need to do that than it is to actually find that person that could help that, you? That is another piece. Um, there's a lot of stat, that out there that shows the dearth and um, really minute uh, number of minorities in the field of mental health. Like there's, I think the last number I saw back in 2018 was like less than 10% are minorities in, in, in mental health uh, field. And it is difficult, but there has been special attention being uh, uh, made towards increasing uh, cultural competency, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you don't have the amount of minorities or black individuals in this field, let's help to educate those who are here to better understand what black people go through so we can break that barrier a little bit better. But also, you know, I think I've seen a concerted effort by minorities who are in the field advocating for others to get in, in the field. Mm -hmm. And there, there has been a lot more resources out there. And I can I can either share with you now or I can pass it to you later, but um, you, there's uh, melanin and mental health and melanin, I think it's mental health and melanin. That's one on Instagram. They have a resource on their website with um, psych uh, psychologists and therapists who are of color. And you can search by your, your uh, zip code and pulls up various providers of your color. Um, that, that is just one of many. But what I would encourage everyone to do is, you know, start that conversation, right? Um, even if they're not a person of color, it's more important to get in the care than sort of neglect it because you're waiting for someone of color to get there. Um, and, and you never know, actually my, my therapist, uh, she's white and she's been the best I've, I've had <laughs> in, in, ever. So, so it doesn't really matter the color of the therapist. It's literally just a matter of like, can they understand you? Can you communicate with them? And I think right. that from even my own personal experience, are you going back to the, the hardest thing is getting in there. Before I even had the intake appointment, I canceled about 10 times. And the last time I called them, they were like, Jimmy, if you cancel again, don't call us. <laughs> I was like, dang. Yeah. Like, right, right, right. So I was lucky that I was just like, you know what, I really do need this help. Let me go in and get it. But it is really, really difficult. And I was blessed to get a black therapist. But since then, mm -hmm. I've had non-black therapists. And I think the thing is, it's just being comfortable having the conversation about what is really going on and not yeah. seeing them as a color, not trying to see them as part of your community, but rather as somebody who's trying to help you get right. through all the trauma that you've been dealing with. Yeah. You know, to that point, um, what's interesting too is, and it depends on, all depends on who you have. It's not everyone. I, I'm not generalizing everyone, but I remember one of my first uh, therapists was a black individual, very nice lady. She reminded me of my aunt. And she, the therapy sessions was like me talking to my aunt. Yep. It felt comfortable, but I, I don't feel like I was getting a full like evaluation or, cause it was like, I'm talking to my aunt, it's like, oh, tell me what happened next. You know, I'm like, all right, all right, yo, like, like let's, yeah, let's, let's stay on task here. Like the, the, sometimes you get too, too comfortable with them and you're not able to get that breakthrough that you need. Now, again, that was just my experience with that provider. I had another black provider who was great, perfect as well. So it's not everyone, but that's something to consider as well too. Just, you know, you're here to heal um, and perhaps you may need something comfortable to, to break that barrier and then continue to explore if you feel like you're not grown or healing the way you want to. Uh, but it, 
don't feel like you can only heal from black providers. Right. Okay. So you mentioned that oh, um, you mentioned your work at the VA. We've talked about you know the way the way that you do holistic behavioral counseling and medical management or medicine management. I want to talk a little bit more about now your focus on the younger population because mm -hmm. is obviously veterans and probably a lot of older people. And mm -hmm. so you're kind of turning to people that are our our age, you know, like yeah. tell us more about what is it that you're trying to do with them? What are, what is your goal with the younger population? Is it to just completely break that stigma that, you know, you can't go to therapy, you have to stay strong, this, that, and the other? Like, what is your goal with your project? Tell us about it. Yeah, my whole goal is to just honestly start that conversation, you know, normalizing. That's really ultimately my goal is to be able to talk about your mental health the same way you may talk about an injured leg or a broken arm or a really bad stomach virus. Um, normalizing it, I, I believe, is going to be the initial breakthrough to us really healing. Um, we actually don't know the true number of mental health impact in the black community. You know, there's an assumption that is probably the same as other races, yeah. but we don't truly know because a lot of us don't go and get checked out. Um, part of the reason why is because, A, we don't think it's necessary to be, you know, you'll be weak like we mentioned, um, or C, I just don't trust the providers. So by normalizing the conversation, we're first opening that that notion that this is real. This is actually something that's not all in your head. This is real. Mm -hmm. And then once you know that something is real, like again, I'm gonna keep pointing back to that broken leg because it's very, it's very it's visceral. Right? Visual. It's a great visual. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's telling you like, so it's just like normalizing conversation, like, hey, you know your leg is broken. Like you've been limping for like three years, fam. It's broken. Like, what would you mean? I'm good. Like, no, it's broken. It's like, oh, okay, it is broken. And then now you know that your leg is broken, you're not gonna continue limping. You're right. not gonna just let it sit. It, you're, you're gonna now like, all right, I gotta, I gotta fix it. You know, I gotta fix it. Oh, how do I fix it? You know, which surgeon do I trust? Mm. You know, um, what kind of therapies should I be using? I don't, I don't wanna uh, do this type of surgery where they're gonna go wrap around my back, my thigh and cut this out. No, I don't want none of that. I just want to chill simple. So you're having those conversations. Now you're like, okay, well, how am I gonna get healed? And that's yeah. your next step. So with your mind is our business, and this shirt, this is actually- I see it, I saw your mind. Wait, where's my shirt? It's in the mail? Pandemic snail mail? Got pandemic, it. yeah, exactly, pandemic. Yeah. Um, so it says like, mind your business in the front purposely. And the back says, your mind is our business. Okay. And and I, I, always, I like this shirt because I have a lot of people often stop me and say, ha ha, I like this shirt, mind your business. That's what I tell people to be all like, ah, but wait. <laughs> my business, my business. Ah. And they're like, oh, okay. And then but they get uncomfortable. They, they get uncomfortable, but we start that conversation. Um, sometimes it just needs to be brought up in whatever way, shape, or form, and, and the conversation starts. Mm -hmm. But what I also want to do is because from my specialty, I'm a psychopharmacologist, I want to be able to educate a little bit more and provide counseling and, and uh, a little bit more of a comfort when it comes to medication use. You know, understanding, hey, not all of them are bad. These mm -hmm. are certain ones that you should probably watch out for. If you're taking this, don't take this. Don't mix it with this. This is what you're expected to feel. And I and I think that's a, a focus uh, 
that perhaps sometimes is ignored. The reason why I say that is this. Um, a lot of people, when they go into therapy, you're seeing your therapist, but you may get your medications from, say, your doctor, your primary care provider, right? You're like, oh, let's start showing Lexapro. You may not be following up with that doctor uh, for like another year, six months. You may have a lot of questions about it or a lot of fears behind yeah. it. And just, like, all right, I'm not taking this. But that could be the gateway for you to get better. So my whole goal is uh, to be able to educate and provide a little more, a little bit more comfort in that area, and also, you know, try to mitigate the use of unnecessary medications. I think there are. I've seen a lot of providers, not a lot. I'll say some providers who just here take this, 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 and this, this. Like, no. Like I want to empower each other. Is it happening at a younger age where they're just doing those prescriptions instead of? encouraging the conversations well see that's a that's a deep conversation Virginia. you just you stumble upon a deep conversation now we're talking about the cultural piece of it right you have folks going in and trying to get prescriptions for zen bars you know because you heard it in the song and mm-hmm. you know purchases codeine and so forth but there are certain it, it, it's almost like this over medicated state that is popular in 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 the hip-hop culture to some degree yeah in which the opposite is happening where you don't care if you're prescribed almost like experimenting experimenting with various psycho uh active agents and it's like oh yeah i'll take this this and this this and this i see a lot of young patients or young uh clients who were prescribed uh like xanax and you know valium and so forth um all it takes is going to a provider who may not really not not care, may not be invested, or maybe just their practice. Like, yeah, sure, take this, and you're abusing it, right? Mm-hmm. And now you, you're dealing with a whole other problem. So that's also part of that conversation, is understanding where over-medication is a problem, or how it may happen, and understanding why you need to take this, why you shouldn't be taking this. Right. Kind of go there. That is, that's scary, but you do know that it's a problem. Like, we've yeah. seen, We've seen news stories about, you know, doctors prescribing things just because they can do it. And I think what I really appreciate about what you're doing with the younger population now or the project that you're embarking on is you're really taking that holistic behavioral piece that you do and you're incorporating and say, listen, I understand the medicine, but let's talk about everything else happening in your day to day because 17 to 31 year olds, that is a rough time period. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rock. Just getting out of that time period, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, who am I? Like, my life is a lie. Yeah, it's rough. Yes. So, do you feel like though, with each one of the like, we're certain age groups within that period that you'll be focusing on different aspects, or how do you really foresee yourself positioning the project and the people? Yeah. So it, it could be kind of broken down into age groups, but I would say it's, it's very individualized. Um, okay. There's a there's a basic level of care that I would advocate for everyone, okay. which is how can you heal yourself, right? You kind of touched on a few of those things. Before any any of my visits with any one of my clients, veterans and so forth, I always ask, you know, what are you doing um, to heal yourself? Mm. What, what are some things you're doing your day to day? Are you exercising? What does your diet look like? You know, how's your sleep pattern? What kind of, um, you know, environment do you have? Are you using certain things as coping mechanisms that mm. are unhealthy in the long run? Those conversations helps to solve a lot 
before mm. you even thinking about medications. Um, and when when we advocate those things, and given the reason why we're advocating, we start to get to a better place before even having to use some of the more uh, heavier methods. So I'll, I'll give you an example or a bit of a clinical pearl. Exercise and what what do you, what do you feel like? What are some benefits for exercise? Because like, you were actually a kinesi major, right? You know, yes. Educators, <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say are some of the benefits for exercise? I mean, exercise just really helps you. It clears your mind. It, it helps. Yeah. You know, it raises your endorphin le levels. It really gets you in a better space. Ultimately. Yeah. To make it a very long, long explanation, very short. That's what it does. It puts you in a better yes. headspace. Yes. So, you know, there's this clear, and this is something that I actually didn't fully know until I started in the, in the training part of it. But, you know, there's this sense of clarity, like you mentioned, Jumi, that you get after exercising or just kind of physical activity. There's a little bit of euphoria afterwards. It, it's painful, but it's, it's just like, and you feel accomplished because you, you did something hard and you were able to, you know, get through it. I felt good. Yeah. But what's actually happening is, is beyond that. It's, you're forcing blood to go circulate through your brain as you exercise, right? You're forcing blood throughout your body. You're forcing more blood to your brain, and that actually allows your brain to function more optimally. Um, it's such a bad, more optimal function <laughs> at a better level, um, whereby you're able to, the brain's able to really produce those chemicals that has been missing, or the chemicals that may be low as a result of depression, anxiety, PTSD, and so forth. So you're, you're allowing your brain to function at the best ability so that you can heal naturally. So it's not just about, oh, I worked out, I look good. Now I can take these Instapix. It's more so about you're, you're, you're really giving your brain the, the energy, the aptitude to be able to really heal yourself at the best possible rate um, you can. So we have a part of leadership and arts collaboration. And I think it ties into what you just said, because with, with, um, exercise, not everybody can do that. And so their question is like, should you have mental health discussions before ma major physical changes happen to you? You know, of major physical change like surgery or chronic pain things that will affect your quality of life. If somebody has chronic pain, they can't exercise the way they normally do, you know? So like what conversations need to happen before they undergo any surgery that is to treat that pain? Cause it's gonna change their quality of life. It's an excellent question, whoever asked that. Um, we, we do, a lot of institutions, they actually have a psychiatrist or a psycho, psychologist in surgery departments, mm -hmm. uh, in oncology departments, areas whereby, you know, say you get diagnosed or you have to undergo a major change, like you mentioned, it may change your quality of life. And that can easily lead to uh, depression and anxiety and so forth, because it's like, my whole existence, who I was, is now not the same. I'm a mm -hmm. whole different person. I have to live a new life. And it can be traumatic to some degree. Yeah. It can, can be depressing. I know specifically for a lot of my veterans, you know, especially those who did com combat, you're, a lot of your work is predicated on your physical abilities. And so when you get injured, you get, you get your foot amputated, you're like, you get falls with depression just off of that. Like, man, I used to be so physically fit. Now I can't do that. Mm. I can't exercise. So I, I definitely agree with the concept of having conversations before any major life changes with a, with a therapist, discussing it. And not just before, but throughout. You know, it's going to be 
uh, a change in your your life and the way you operate, the way you function, but also being able to highlight the beauties of what um, these new changes may bring. A good example is just talking is the quarantine and pandemic. You know, no one wants to, no one had the idea like, let's just all sit inside forever. For 12 but, months, yay! <laughs> but there's a lot of beautiful things that came out from it, yeah. right? You're not recognizing the beauties of your new situation and you're able to develop in areas that you never even thought you can develop. You probably neglected. You know, a lot of creative uh, areas that has been instilled in you, but it was just never explored. Like even doing this that we're doing now. That's very true. It probably would have never never happened. We never like why are we video zooming or doing a video conference when I just fly and we have a conversation and, and I probably couldn't fly because I have patience. So we're opening up a lot of new doors. And yes. that is the same kind of conversations you ought to have as you're healing through some of the changes you may be going through. I really do love that and I appreciate that because the pandemic has caused like an uproar in everybody's lives. Like we are stressed, we are fed up, we are anxious, me and you included. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. have. But it is so important to think about it from that glass half full mentality versus empty. Like there's so much that has come out of this that you there really is to be grateful for. But let's be real, not everybody has that ability to think from that mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. So how do you help them get to that point? Like, where do you yeah. start? You literally cannot just be like, well, you should be grateful your life. Right. I hate to say that. You can't. And that should never be the approach, which is why, again, there is the, there are specialists who, who are trained in being able to use that in the most effective way. Because, no, you can never just like, if somebody comes to my office and like, my leg is chopped off now. We're like, what? Now you can like, you know, uh, get into Olympics and wheelchairs and stuff. Like, no. Or like you yeah. have another like great like what yeah or comparing their struggle to another person's struggle yeah. um we have to understand that this is a process right and it's it's not just simply telling them hey now pick up new hobbies it's helping to explore things that they may love yeah um, that they may they may have neglected or things that they may now get into you kind of have have to help again convince them make them feel comfortable in this new environment not you telling them to feel comfortable, mm -hmm. make them feel comfortable. So it's a very gradual process. A lot of times people think you go to one therapy session and you should be fixed. These are like eight months, two years. Like it can take a while to really get to where you need to get to. And each step, you may have two steps back, you know, and that's very realistic. But you also have to be, you have to understand that just because you took a step back doesn't mean you're not healing. Mm -hmm. and that's something that as family members, friends, loved ones, we have to continue to tell those who are going through things like that, like, hey, I'm expecting you to, you know, have really bad days. I'm expecting you to to get in those moments where it's really low. But just understand I'm here to still support you. And I'm I'm confident, I'm happy that you're growing each day. Yeah. That's what really matters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's never overnight. Just understand it's a, it's a gradual process. Um, and the loved ones do have to also understand like this is not gonna happen overnight. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to stay patient with it uh, and continue to go through the process. That is, that's key. It's the patient, like being patient with the process and just having it to me, everything is about communication, just like mm -hmm. communicating what you're doing with, but going through, but also we need to have more people that are okay with talking about therapy and the process, what they experience so that if somebody else approaches them with like, yo, this is what's going on. They can be like, Hey, I was there. I saw it. And it took me a while. You yeah. said eight to nine months with therapy. 
full transparency, I went through therapy for years on and off because the small amount of time that you're going through therapy, you're dealing, you're talking about things that have been going on with you for how many years prior to that. Exactly. Exactly. We can't put a limit on how long therapy should take, how long the process should take. And you shouldn't feel bad that if you go through regular therapy, then you have to get on medication that there's anything wrong with you. Because like you said, that's all part of the process. Yeah. Again, broken leg. Yeah. You do surgery and they're like, ah, you know what? You're going to need a leg brace for another two or three years. It's part of the healing process. Like, okay. That's next step. Or, ah, you know what? We might have to do a little bit more surgery because that first surgery didn't take care of it. And that happens. That happens. And that it's happens. like, what is the goal? That that's You have to keep the goal in mind. I want to get here. And what is the best way to get there? And, um, and understanding that ultimately I'm doing this for the better of myself and for the, for the people that I love. So we've got spaces like, you know, there's Black Girl Therapy, there's your organization, there's Sad Girls Club, like all these nonprofit organizations that are available for people in these spaces. How does one determine the one that's best for them in terms of what they're dealing with? Because like back to the leg analogy, yes, you know what your issue is, you know what needs to get healed. But for mental health, it's just there's so many different components there. You're feeling a different way, a different time. What one person describes and maybe a post or a, a you know a discussion board thing, you're like, oh yeah, I felt that. You're know, like, how do you just determine what's the best space for you so that you really feel comfortable? So <laughs> this may sound trivial, but honestly works, especially in this, this day and age. I would be, I would have a concerted effort in following a lot of Instagram pages or like, um, you know, uh, social media accounts or outlets that have mental health information because you're not pumping that into your regular feed. You have to understand it. Don't get me started on how social media affects your mental health. But oh no, <laughs> put you. I, we're not again there because that's a whole nother conversation, Brian. Like yeah, we're, we're not. That's like that's like part two after dark. <laughs> yes, yes, mental health after dark. Um, so. So what we're doing with uh, with our social uh, feed is we're feeding ourselves, feeding our brain, and it, and it becomes normal. I, I follow a lot of mental health accounts. I even follow therapy for black girls, and um, I'm normalizing what some of the things many uh, young black females go through, and understanding that hey, there's help out there, and knowing that it's okay, or this may be signs that something needs to be done. Yeah. Um, by continuing to engage and engulf and surround yourself in, in those sort of media outlets, you're going to have um, opportunities to see gateways for help, right? Oftentimes, a lot of these Instagram accounts or even Facebook accounts or Twitter, they provide a lot of resources. And that's where you're able to, quote unquote, shop around. Okay. You're never going to find the perfect person right away. And the same thing, you're never going to find the perfect medication right away. Very true. Um, just as an aside, one of the fears of medications is that, you know, um, it may affect me to a degree that I can never, you know, function or I may be addicted to it, addicted to it and so forth. We kind of talked about that. Yeah. The reality of the situation is the first med may not be the final med. It may, may be uh, a situation whereby that just didn't work for you, but you have to maintain the confidence that you're going to finally get the one that is best for you. It's the same thing with seeking care um, and seeking your doctor. Uh, you're gonna go to a doctor and you may find that, hey, we're not vibing, we're not healing. Um, I'm not healing the way that I would want to heal. 
but that, that doesn't mean you stop. That doesn't mean all doctors are like this. Right. right. That doesn't mean all medications are going to be like this. This is where you have to continue to open your mind and say, hey, um, I just need to find the right fit. Um, what we have to also consider, too, is this. It's hard for us to figure out what the right fit is when we are in uncomfortable spaces. Yes. 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 Right? Yeah, very true. Like, sometimes we find ourselves trying to find the right fit, but all we're doing is just chasing comfort. Mm. We never really heal. So you have to be comfortable with uncomfort, essentially, in order to, to heal. Comfortable with the discomfort. So one of the things I always see on the media is like, we talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but there's really no solutions. And I feel like we've talked a lot today about different solutions, different things that people should do, whether it's a conversation one-on-one with friends, with family members, with physicians, with the therapist. Um, Do you feel like there is going to start being more of a shift to conversations like this in the media where it's like, yes, this is a problem in our community. And here is what you should do. Here is what, aside from just like tell, taking them to landing pages of this, that, and the other. Yeah, I, I truly do. I truly do. It's a slow but gradual process. Um, there was this one article that I was ranting on my Instagram a few weeks ago, talking about how the discussion of mental health in rap songs, rap lyrics has increased and the impact it has on the listeners. And it's interesting because it varies based off of the race, like how, um, say, white people respond to pop music that mentions mental health, versus how black people respond to rap that mentions mental health. What what they've seen is just that there is an increased conversation, at least there is more of an acknowledgement that mental health is a real thing. And so by first acknowledging it and first, again, again, normalizing it, I think we're going to move towards, well, how do you feel? Mm. I would say that right now we are more so broaching the um, the the sphere of therapy, right? It's- therapy becomes a buzzword for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, you you really have to make sure that you're getting the care, not just for Instagram, but for you. Yeah. Um, and and so when we start to continue to normalize it, as we're talking about it, just like we both shared that we did therapy at some point. And it was normal, it was casual. I didn't like, and it's like, no, it's fine, it's okay. And and we're, we're gonna find more landing pages towards it. Um, and, and we have to, again, continue to um, understand that this process is hard and be uncomfort, uncomfortable with discomfort. And thank you for correcting me. Yes, discomfort, <laughs> not uncomfort. Well, no, I think there's just so much that, you know, as a, the black community, the minority community is like, yes, we are, we need to be strong. We're supposed to be strong. We're never supposed to ship, like break. We're never supposed to feel like we can't handle something, but that's mm-hmm. not the case. And right. that's why these conversations are so important, not just for people who are in their or like later years, but for younger people. So if somebody wanted to get involved with your new project, Mind your business, or your mind is our business. How can they do that? So for right now, this is very early, <laughs> right? So it's um. It's the best time though, it's always the best time. Yeah, no, um, it's right now. What I'm doing with it is kind of doing the developing the background work. Okay. Um, and, and as you know, this is also kind of another plug too. But um, pharmacy initiative leaders pills. 
Yes. That that is a, a my main nonprofit organization, and that that's targeted towards developing and grooming, helping for underserved communities who may be interested in that field. Ultimately, developing leaders, and so whether you are in that field or you just want to grow as a leader in, in the medical field, um, we provide a lot of resources for that. And I bring that up because, and it's Pills Connect, uh, whatever, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I bring that up because a lot of, some of the things that I do on my own venture, like things like this, I tend to uh, puppet through Pills and, and use that as a platform. Um, because mental health is everywhere. I mean, should, I, I allow it to be a part of who I am in, in every aspect. Um, and I often use the hashtag, your mind is our business. And for that, as I'm seeing more and more people, you know, uh, um, use that or, or just subscribe to that notion, I'm increasing that conversation, you know, and hopefully when the project is fully launched and everything is just kind of going, um, I would have a platform for people to be able to access and uh, garner some resources, speak to a psychopharmacologist, you know, express themselves. Um, the website will be ymob.org. Um, but right now, I think if you go there, it's gonna be like, just general okay. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is just general stuff. Um, but outside, outside of that, yes, definitely follow Pills Connect. Uh, I, me, alongside a lot of other awesome pharmacists who are in their respective field, uh, promoting care within a black community uh, are often um, providing resources there as well. So that is a, another great way to be able to engage with what I do and what other awesome pharmacists are doing in the health field. Yeah, well, I'm so grateful. So I feel like if anybody even follows you, your personal account or the Pills Connected account, they're gonna get so much transparency and so much valuable information as it pertains to the mental health state of the minority community right now. Um, I wanna say, Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining today's conversation yeah. and just being so open about your work, your goals for the minority community, for being such a healer, a mental healer, as you call yourself. <laughs> Wait, can we do that again? <laughs> you got curly at the end. You got to like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, seriously, thank you, Brian. This has been no such an incredible conversation. I really hope all the viewers that are watching or that are going to watch this definitely take something away from this, that it's really about communication. Um, it's really about trusting that it's a process. It's not anything that's going to change overnight that we want it to, but just trust that regardless of the steps you're going through, taking that first step to having the intake appointments, having the conversations with your friends and family, like, we're, they're all there to support you. So there's tons of resources out there for you to check out. I know that there's blackdoctor.org that has a ton of resources out there. There's also um, Culturally Competent Doctor. There's all the, the National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparities. They've got a lot of resources for people. So, you know, luckily the internet is not dearth for resources, but just be careful with the ones that you do decide to, you know, that you do decide to lock in on. Cause like Dr. Saki said, you can't feel comfortable if you're not in a safe space. Yep. So that has been today's episode of Jumping with Jumi. Thank you all so much for tuning in and I will catch you all next week.